Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1253, I think we're up to. G'day Megan. Hello Rob. Yes, and here we are for another rambunctious episode of your, I was going to say favourite genre show. (laughs) Well, why not? Yeah. It's mine. <laughs> so, uh, what are we going to look at today? It. Yes. Very excited. I've been waiting for this since It Chapter 1 came out. So, hoarding my opinion. So, very keen to get into that. Sink my teeth into it, as you will. Uh, yeah, we'll just go and um, squeeze the little red nose on the clown for this. I always <laughs> wonder, when you do that, aren't they supposed to make a honking noise? <laughs> yeah, he does, and then he bites your head off. Yeah, in this case. And also, uh, we'll have a look at um, Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, which is the new Netflix series, and a magnificent one it is. Um, I think they uh, have done extremely well with that. I've heard good things. I've seen good things. Have you had a chance to have a look at it? I haven't, no. So I'll be keen to hear your thoughts as to whether I should. Because as we mentioned, I think I mentioned to your affair last week, I've not actually seen the Dark Ah. Crystal movie. Well, you could actually, you could actually, it is a prequel, so. Yeah, so I wasn't too sure whether it would still be all yeah, right to, to dive right in. So I'll be keen it to does. hear your thoughts and I might add it to the list of many things to check out. Our title is The IT Clown and our, <laughs> <I like that. laughs> our podcast title is Podling, since there are podlings in Dark Crystal. Lovely. So uh, I think we actually might, we might, do you want to do it first? Yeah, I, I we, feel up for that. Should we do it first? Do we want to kick things off with a bit of a spooky track to get us in the mood? or? Yeah, what is this? So we are going to listen to something from the chapter one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the composer of this was uh, Benjamin Wallfish. <laughs> and, and I thought I would just, you know, get right in there. And I've selected a track called You'll Float Too. Aww. This is Neil Gaiman in the dangerous alphabet zero, G comes last, Z waits alone and it's not for a thing. Yes, so we just kicked things off with a nice spooky track from It Chapter 1 soundtrack. So that was from the score by Benjamin. I'm guessing it's Wolfish then because he is of German origin. Um, Well, ancestry, I guess. And that was a track called You'll Float 2. Hmm. Uh, his name is familiar to me now that I've looked it up. Blade Runner 2049 and Shazam. Also, uh, hidden figures too. Yeah. So he's um, and you said he works a little bit with Hans, Hans Zimmer. Mm. So mm. Um, yeah, I think the the soundtrack to it's pretty strong. So that's what we're going to delve into the sewers and discuss now. Chapter two has just dropped. Um, the follow-up to It Chapter 1. And a fun tidbit, I was looking online after um, I saw the movie and the release dates for It Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2, they both add up to 27, Mm. which, of course, it is 27 years between It's uh, when It appears. So, But in the real world, only about, what, 
two years or something like that, 2.5 years, close to that. Yeah, I think a couple of years. And I also, uh, I think I saw somewhere that IT TV series came out in 1990. So IT Chapter 1 came out 27 years later. So that must have been 2017. (laughs) I love when they do this stuff. It's so good for the the geeks. Numerology. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, so we've got the – it is Chapter 2. So what we're actually not – we're not actually looking at a sequel. We're looking no. at the the second half of the adaptation of Stephen King's novel. Yes, and I guess that's one of the key things is structurally mm. the book is cuts back and forth between them as kids and them as adults. And this movie does that, but the first movie was strictly just – the kids portion mm-hmm. um, and strictly is that. And this second portion is largely the adult portion. So they've kind of separated that out, which I actually think now that I've seen both with the break in between was a really smart move for Well, for it's the movie. more straightforward, isn't it? It is. And I also think Chapter 1 came out around the time of the Stranger Things hype. And yeah. I think marketing-wise it capitalised on a bit of that 80s kitty Goonies nostalgia. Well... So. <sighs> I've got to say that looking back at the 80s in, in the IT context doesn't seem all that much fun. No. Well, now <laughs> doesn't seem that much fun either in the adult because adult, of course, then is sort of set yeah. um, in the 2000s, so much closer to contemporary time. So they changed the, the time. The book was 50s and 80s, so they've moved that for uh, later as well. Um, but neither time. Derry just doesn't look fun, which is the town that this is set in. I think that's half the problem, isn't it? Let's give some background on this. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you haven't seen the first one, you'll be doing yourself a disservice if you go and see and I chapter think two. It's because they fit together really nicely. Um, mm. So, And it's chapter one is a great film, so definitely try to see that before you see the second one. As with the first one, it's directed by Andre Muschietti. Is mm-hmm. that right? Uh, I tried to look it up. Mischetti. But um, uh, I didn't quite have time to get audio, but I think, yeah, Mischetti. Uh, he's an Argentine filmmaker. We've seen um, his work with uh, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, and basically this um, main one, well, he has done uh, Warner Brothers, The Flash. He worked on on that and uh, the live-action adaptation of Attack on Titan. You know, that anime. An anime, with, yeah. Yeah, the giant giant monsters and stuff. Mm. Um, and it's written by um, Gary Dalberman, who we know from The Conjuring films and also from Annabelle. <laughs> and um, I think it's interesting to note too that Stephen King famously doesn't uh, like many of his adaptations, mm-hmm. but you can tell, and I'm not going to say sort of too much about it, but I think he's clearly on board with this adaptation of his book. Yeah. And he has come out on Twitter and said that he is really happy with this adaptation as well. So if that means anything, because I know he hates The Shining and I love that adaptation. So, But um, it does have the blessing from the man himself. And The Presence, which is a tiny spoiler. But, yeah, you but know, look, you, oh, you're going to know that. There's a couple of cameos that, that yeah, you might enjoy. So. Yeah. Okay, so um, basically the first film was set in 1986 and... So it's a very 80s orientated film, as we're saying, very much like Goonies and Stranger Things and half a dozen other films from that I era. mean, we should really say Stranger Things is a little like it because, yes. it, <laughs> you we, know, I mean, and yeah, it's Goonies. They're yeah. all sort of pulling from the same pool of uh, yeah. inspiration. Uh, and and also all subterranean too when you – that's just occurred to me they're all underground. Yeah. Um, well, that's where the spooky stuff happens, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, – so that that was set in 1986. It, it 
told the story of a group of, of, of young people. Well, they're basically in their, what, their, their early teens. Yeah, yeah. Mm. A, a group of misfits. It's always, you know. In fact, they're called the Losers. The Losers Club, yes. Yep. And they had found themselves in pitched battle against the It creature. Yes, Pennywise the Clown. Mm-hmm. Pa- played has... by Bill Skarsgård. Mm, to wonderful effect. Yet another one of the Skarsgård clan. Yes. Yes. Um, several of them have something to do with Asgard. So they're the Asgardian <laughs> Skarsgårds. Uh, in this case, um, he is playing the villain of the piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, about who we get some more background in this story. Yes, and I think some interesting treatment of Bill Skarsgård getting a little bit of time. Yeah. I mean, this is in the trailer, but a bit of time out of the makeup, which I liked. Yes. Proving that it's not the makeup that makes him scary. I actually think he's doing a very, he's really putting his heart into this, mm. this scare role. Because, mm. uh, I mean, he's a beautiful looking man and they've really done a great job of looking, <laughs> making him look grotesque. Well, I mean, he hasn't, um, you know, he does put his heart into it, but fear not, he won't run out of hearts. <laughs> no. <laughs> because, yes. Uh, so, okay, so. In that story, in the 1986 one, they 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 thought that they'd put paid to Pennywise, but yes. they they held out not hope but dread that perhaps they hadn't. Yes. So in classic Night Stalkerish mode, <laughs> they made a uh, a pact that mm-hmm. if anything ever occurred again, they'd come back. Yes, they'd all return to Derry, which is the hometown. Um, and fictional you, Derry, Maine. And before you can say, "Hey, Derry down there," and nonny nonny no. 27 years later, um, something it, happens. It resurfaces. Yes. In what I have to say was a pretty creepy opening scene. I mean, distressing mm. for a lot of reasons. Oh, yeah. Um, absolutely awful way to, I mean, get started. I mean, it's a horror movie, but it just, it, it'll be upsetting. Actually, um, I never um, got as uh, scared or as horrified in the film mm. thereafter. After the opening, the exactly. opening was so the, the just human awful. stuff was yeah. yeah. But um, and obviously that opening, if you've read the book, uh, is the opening of the book also. But it just it really set the tone. And I remember in this the first one, I wasn't that scared by it. I thought it was fun and silly. And there's fun and silly in this too. But that first opening sequence generally creeped me out. Yeah. So um, it's, it's often the way, isn't it? Um, real life horror is actually always mm. scarier and more repulsive than than uh, anything that people can make up generally. Okay, so um, this means, because there are flashbacks within the, the chapter two, this yes. means that we've still got the, the young actors and, who played the characters in the Losers Club originally also coinciding with their 27 years later people. Which I was really happy to see because I think the chemistry between those kids and that, I think that's a really nice element of the film and the kind of it story. So I was really glad they were in there. I was interested as to whether it had been filmed at the same time as Chapter 1. I had exactly the same thought. I I'm, looked it I'm up. Do it. you know the answer to that? Yes. Yeah. 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 So it's it's uh, they've, they've digitally um, uh, euphoned yes. the young actors back to their 1986 sort of incarnation. But they did a good enough – there's a couple of shots where I was like, oh, that's a bit odd. Um, but they've done it well enough that we both were like, I wonder if they shot this at the same time, which yeah. shows that they've at least done a good way of lining it up. A moment's th- further thought would have told us that they didn't because they didn't know they were going to get to the second chapter. They'd hoped to, but they didn't know it. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess the whole it was really banking on it, right? But yeah. you're right; they probably wouldn't have. Yeah, that was, this was not a sure thing. No, to have um, a, a second movie in the cycle. So, so okay, the first thing about movie. the Losers Club: great casting. Yes. I really bought that those the the, the older, the older losers ones, uh, absolutely and they introdu- they do really great they go back to that kind of old school um, great character introductions and each one gets a really lovely little vignette yep. of both sort of bringing the story back to Derry and kind of kicking off the movie but we get a pretty good glimpse in a very brief period of what each kid has grown up mm. to become I so, thought that was and and I mean. It's not all roses by any means. Oh, absolutely And that's not. all true to the book. There was some horrific stuff in the book I was remembering as I watched this. Um, so, yeah, you really get a good sense of them straight off the bat, which is what I really liked. I love a strong character introduction. Yeah, I, I thought that this film's strength, if if anything, was its um, its characterizations of the losers and, mm. and the bonds between them, yeah. um, the character relationships, were, I felt were really quite deep. Yeah, yeah. And that's the heart of, of this story, really. Mm. Um, and and one of the things that um, I thought uh, about the characterizations, I, I believe that these were the older versions. You know, there was no yeah. – I had no hesitation there. My only one is I'm not 100% on James McAvoy's bill. I think James <laughs> McAvoy is great. Yeah. But he's not really what I – think of as adult Bill mm-hmm. um, and a sp- even in line with who I think young Bill is exactly what young Bill is Yeah, but that again that's some, coming from someone who is very attached to the book and has very preconceived notions well 27 um, years later you know I mean some of the characters have changed quite a bit yeah yeah you know okay. so and some not at all really like yeah. at, at the core I think Richie hasn't changed much I thought I mean <laughs> Richie's always been my favourite character so he's played by Finn Wolfhard Mm-hmm. In the young, as a young version, and older Richie is played by Bill Hader, who's is like hilarious, fabulous choice for that character. And I mean, there is a lot of standout moments here. So basically, so we'll get back to sort of a little bit of rough outline of of what happens in the plot. So they all return, mm-hmm. return to Derry because Pennywise has resurfaced, so to speak, and. One of the main problems, and I mean, this is a device, but I think in this case it it helps a bit. There's a bit of an amnesia um, overlay. Mm. So they don't remember a lot of what happened as kids. I thought that was a good plot device. It allowed allowed them to to bring us along. And if I hadn't seen the first one, maybe that would have uh, given me a a way into it. Yeah, that is true, actually. But I can't say because I have seen the first one. (laughs) So I I thought the whole film was tied together by something that they say very early in the piece. uh, Sometimes we are what we wish we could forget. It's very deep and there's a lot of um, uh, long-term trauma that these Yes. Adults, once kids, have, have grown up with. And not just Pennywise related. No. At all. No. Yeah. Um, although you've got to wonder if that if that triggered everything to start with, you know, the, mm. particularly in the case of, uh, is it Bev? Yes. Bev, yeah. Bev, her, her story arc clearly ties into events in the town 27 years ago. I mean, I, I think the trauma she carries with her, though, is is largely from... The human elements of yeah. her life, though. But I, I, I see that. But I also wonder because um, the the it creature had mm. been in that town for so long and was all yes. pervasive. Well, 
You're spot on, Rob, because that is actually a key thing Stephen King talks about is that in dairy, the reason why dairy is a bit more messed up is the Pennywise undercurrent has kind of twisted a lot of... And they use that a little with one of the other characters that Pennywise has kind of really co-opted him to do some dirty work. But he's Um, like... Stephen King has done that so often in his books, uh, the sense that the place itself is malign. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I do agree. And I mean, I think... and I. I guess that's it. A lot of these horrible human things are stemming from this core because there is an overarching metaphor concept of what Pennywise is and a few other things that they don't get to a lot in the movie Mm. and is one of the – I mean, there are some differences in the book, from the book here, largely the ending. Oh, okay. Um, Not wildly, but, I mean, I don't think it's giving anything away, but they do trim this down. I mean – not that much because it still runs at a long two hours and 50 minutes. But they do condense the story, I think, in a very good way that they don't include. Because there's some extraneous characters that come to Derry. They get rid of all that and they focus just on the losers, which is exactly what I want to see. I don't care about Bill's wife. I don't care about all this other oh, stuff. That's harsh. Well, <laughs> Actually, the, just thinking about it, one of the characters is um, is pretty well off. In fact, some they're, they're all, all well they're off. all got some sort of <laughs> – yeah money behind them. I'm just wondering why they didn't just hire a team of Ghostbusters to come back with them <laughs> at the same time. I think Pennywise would uh, make quick work of almost no, anybody. No, you know, like the Scooby gang or no. um, or Sam and it Dean Winchester. Praise on fears. I reckon <laughs> it would be – everyone has fears. Um, and I think – yeah, so so there are a lot of differences here, but I think in mo- – I'm pretty happy with the changes that were made. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's made it more cinematic and more pacey. Speaking of cinematic, uh, I actually liked a lot of the shots in this. There's some standout shots, just little pieces of business that they did. Um, for example, I'll give you a little bit of a, a, a cinematic spoiler here. There's a shot through a transparent coffee table mm. um, through a jigsaw puzzle where they're putting the last piece in. Yeah. I liked that. That was that was mm. a classy shot. I also think that whole that was treated um, respectfully. I was a little worried about how that was going to go. Yeah, but I think um, I think yeah, I think it was it was handled really well. And I think you're right. There's some great shots and beautiful cinematography here. Yeah, there is. Uh, there's a there's there's a sense that uh, of style to the horror in this, and it's a very long film too. So you have to have something more going for it. And that's it. I was. I thought it would feel longer than it did, um, and especially there's a section where, and this isn't ruining anything. I was like, "Oh, we're we just gonna get like scares for each character times seven. Like, I don't think, but it actually went quite quickly. And yeah. I think because there are a lot of jump scares here, they yeah. were real. He's really relying on the surprise element, but I mean, it's horror, you know. <laughs> Look, I'm not. I've never had uh, a fear of clowns myself. Um, I've never been amused by them either. I'm fairly neutral when it comes to clowns. I do. After I saw it when I was the TV when I was about eight or something. Well, I do remember after watching the first one, looking a little bit uneasily at this at the storm water drains, walking home in the night at one stage, mm-hmm. and, and and thinking, gee, I hope I don't see any balloons come up out of that. Uh, but let's have um, a song by uh, Cynthia Carlisle, um, "Fear of Clowns." <laughs> This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Yeah, Cynthia Carl there with Fear of Clowns. 
We are, of course, talking about the clown, Pennywise the Clown, slash it, slash Bob Gray, slash, slash everybody, slash, the slasher. creator of the universe. Yes, on Zero G. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And this is the second time we've, we've had a look at um, the the Pennywise uh, franchise. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, with Pe- along with Pennywise and the Joker and politicians and so <laughs> on, it's a wonder that anyone goes into the clown trade because <laughs> all of the vacancies are taken. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So the, the big ticket clowns. <laughs> yeah, that's it. The professional ones. So um, there's a couple of other things we want to talk about, about the, it, it, the it, second iteration. Um, 80s tropes. Uh, I actually felt that they dragged the 80s tropes from the earlier movie yeah. into the present day. Like there's a, there's a couple of things. Uh, they come back to Derry in Maine right bang when there's a carnival on. Yeah. And that's always an 80s trope. There's always an event like it's Christmas yeah. or there's a Halloween. Or... It's a very small town thing too. It's like look at these things small towns do. It'll create a great backdrop for insert action yeah. here kind of thing. And I, I think they kind of fumbled that a little bit because the carnival itself looks extraordinarily well attended mm. and then suddenly the town's empty. Everyone's at the carnival, obviously. Well, but. yes, exactly. I mean, you've got to have uh, shots of, you know, missing posters flapping across the deserted, deserted streets. Street. But, but everybody's that. in town for a carnival. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the thing too. Like you make a good point is that there's some things about this that don't quite stitch up. Yeah. But I do think it is in the vein of your fun jump scare horror movie. Mm. And it also does, in my opinion, capture the kind of the essence of what the It story is about. But... Coming off the back of, I mean, lately there's been a lot of um, really wonderful horror films. So we talked a little bit about this before, like Us, Get Out. I mean, not just things Jordan Peele has done. Hereditary. um, Midsummer. Midsummer. And, you know, there's even some sort of, there's a couple of Australian ones that have come out semi recently. So I think. Um, and those are all wonderful and do have quite a lot of layers of complexity and social commentary. This movie isn't necessarily trying to do that. There are some no. metaphors about trauma, memory and the nature of childhood, but they're fairly stock standard and they're not very deep, to be honest, mm. and they're pretty obvious. But I think it's interesting because I think this film will get a bit of flack for not being deep like some of those other movies, but I think it's just the context that it's come out in. It's kind of what's happening in horror today. There's a lot of really great new things happening, but this is very much in the in the spirit of kingdom (laughs) well it's like yeah exactly it's a it's a doorstop king novel yeah it's an 80s novel has been translated into i think a movie that really gets what it's about and i mean no it's it's not one of those horrors where the real horror is not showing the thing because they show the thing they show the thing 50 times they show it different ways they show obvious scares it gets a bit silly there is some ridiculous stuff in this but that's what it's doing. And I think I respect that about the film. And I think anyone who's saying it's not, um, you know, it's not Get Out. It's, it's not a, trying to be Get Out. No, it's it. It's not trying <laughs> to be Cronenberg. It's not trying to be – it's no. it's it. It's a – it's a yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's my rant about that. And we'd probably be, probably be here discussing if they had uh, encoded too many more recent things into it. 
if they had done that, we'd probably be here saying, oh, it's just not faithful to the novel. Exactly. And why is it trying to do too much? Yeah, like, Whereas yeah. I think it's trying to do just we'll, enough. We'll give them a pass on that, I think, I think that, so. that part of it. And also with the 80s tropes dragging it in, depopulated um, uh, casts in terms of there's only your central core mm. of characters. That's actually very 80s anyway. Which is perfect for this. Also, there is no problem that cannot be beaten if you don't have access to your bicycle. <laughs> as long as you've got your bike it's true in the, book in the as 80s, well. it's always true. Is it true in the book too? Have you? Well, yeah. I've, yeah. You're going to ask me, have I read the book? Have you read the book? No, I haven't. No, so my next question for you is how do you feel uh, – There's two, this is a two-part question, just <laughs> as the films are two parts. Um, how do you feel this serves the novel mm. and how do you feel that this serves as the second part of an adaptation of the novel? Uh, I think it, it holds up well. Mm-hmm. I think it really gets, like I said, I was thinking, pondering quite a bit about there's a lot of horrific stuff in the book. I was like, why is this one of my favourite books? It's awful. It's got all this terrible, terrible things in it. But it's because that sto- the, the story of the friendship and the heart of the book is so strong um, that it kind of ties that all in together, and I think the film, I think the film is a nice reflection of that. Personally, I enjoyed seeing it on screen. I thought it showed me what I wanted to see from the book. I do think as a second half, I mean, it if you look at them both together, it would be very long, but the actual pace of it would make more sense because this one is pretty much entirely action. It's pretty much two hours of the climax of a film. So we want to see the two-pack DVD release. <laughs> well, and I guess, yeah, I think the first one obviously has its own movie climax, but it's a lot of build-up and it's a lot of character development as well. Mm. So, Which is where this film excels, I think. And I think it really reaps the benefits of having done that. So, <laughs> I mean, the, pa- the pace isn't amazing, but I think it was quick and it made the three hours go quickly. So in that respect, maybe... It, you know, it was successful. I think occasionally, and I, 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 I felt this during the film, they took me out of the, um, the space that they were creating, you know, the world occasionally. Uh, they would set up a horror moment. It would be quite horrific. Mm. <laughs> That's what it's for. There is some horrific stuff. And, and then, they, then they'd, I think they'd step in too quickly with the snappy, humorous line mm. that, would, that would give you that comic relief. Yeah. Just a bit... Like they stood on the like it's like standing on a laugh, yeah. Except they're standing on a scream, and it and I felt that lessened the horror for me. There were a couple of moments I agree they went too quickly to either a cinematic kind of joke, like yeah. a visual kind of cutting joke, or or someone said something a bit too quickly. Oh, and there's some very, very, very <laughs> underlining that very, very, very in dairy. Um, references to 80s science fiction and horror films, mm, really, yeah. really obvious. <laughs> Quite, you know, reasonably well done. Yeah. I'll give them that. But I, I thought they were kind of unnecessary to put it in there. But then yeah. if you think about it, this is interesting. They do get – they're you're able to say this. The characters, their memories and their life experiences were informing what Pennywise was creating for them. Yes. So naturally – you know, they, the losers were all geeks, so naturally there'd be that sort of Stranger Things yeah. references to films and stuff from the time. So, you know, that kind of does actually work. I mean, I think as well, I'm not too sure about how – I think the kids, the vibe between the kids as an ensemble is really strong. Yeah. I think the adults is almost there. 
But that being said, I think there are some great relationship moments that come out between Mm. the adults. And I do also think they do expand on some things that are only hinted at in the book. They hint at them more explicitly. As I was saying before, I think that I liked um, um, the character of Richie the most in this one. Yeah. I mean, he's Um, the best. (laughs) (laughs) It just just seemed to work. He had the most... uh, complicated story arc mm. and there were things that he was repressing or not acknowledging and and I thought that they did that quite well. Mm. Um, James McAvoy, I liked in himself, but I think you're right. I don't think he is quite as successful as Bill, as uh, uh, Jaden Martell was originally yeah. when he played that, that character. Um, Jessica Chastain, I think, actually does make a very good stand-in for Sophia Lillis. Yeah. I mean, it's sad because you think about she's lost a bit of that spark as an adult. Mm. But then you kind of think about what's hinted – well, not hinted at, but what's shown about her life. Yeah. And you can kind of understand that. And I think in the book she she loses a bit of that spark as well. So I think that's quite true, mm. true to form. Um, Eddie is actually one of my favourites in the movies and was never really one of my favourites in the book. Yeah. I think I said this when we did Chapter 1 that I think the kid that does Eddie was amazing and really lifted that character for me and I think the adult really matches that. Mm. Um, Adult Eddie. (laughs) Actually, one character, who Mike, the guy who actually stayed in Derry, um, played by Isaiah Mustafa and as a, an adult and chosen Jacobs as a, as a young man. I thought he his character is actually really core to this film. It is, and, and as it should be because I think he is kind of the, the one who keeps the plot stuff going in terms of having been there, knowing what's going on, researching, all of that stuff. I think his character itself is a little underdeveloped. Yeah. I think they lean pretty heavily on this is the traumatic thing from his past and he's a library guy. I don't yeah. think they give him much else to work with, but... There's seven of them. You can't flesh out everybody. No, and we can't go through them all one at a time. Otherwise, we're repeating what they did in the film. Um, but once again, Bill Skarsgård is great as Pennywise. Mm. You know, he just has the, the body English for it, the twisted body English. And, and there is one, I think, my creepiest scene. I'm not going to say too much about it, but there was um, a sports game scene. Do you oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was pretty tense. So, Also, the scene... There's a scene that's set because there's a carnival in town. There's a scene set in a, an amusement um, mm. theme thingy, and that the problem with that is again we've just had that in um, us. Oh yeah, yeah. So the, it's the, the echo there. Yeah, it's, it's not their fault, no. and it's the other way around. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's in, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But mm. I mean, overall, for, right, what overall, are your thoughts? What, what, well, you go first because it's, it's this is your <laughs> your weird playground. It's true. It's very true. I enjoyed it. I did. I think it is a much more traditional horror in that it leads it leans very heavily into the ridiculous at some points. Yeah, maybe too heavily. Maybe too heavily. Like there's it's there are some laughable moments and that's coming from someone who wants to expressly love this no matter what it is. Um, but overall, I was really happy with it. Okay. I enjoyed watching it. I would watch it again. I think I prefer chapter one, but that's also because I prefer the storyline of the kids and the friendship. Um, but I think it's pretty strong. I think on its own, it's not as strong as it is as part of the two-part um, collection, if you know what I mean. Like sitting by itself as a film, I think it's only enhanced by the fact it's it's carrying on after chapter one. Uh, yeah, no, nah, maybe. It's right. a yeah, yeah. yeah. It's okay. a you'll float too. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
I was kind of similar. I do like the first chapter better. I was more mm. deeply scared by that one than this one mm. in places. Um, and this one, it did. I think they did err too far into the comic relief moments. Yeah. Uh, I think they could probably have carved off about 15 minutes to it. Of it. Like we said, it's almost three hours. That's yeah. a long time. Yeah, good, good on them for giving it a try. Mm. They are the the tool of horror movies and in this case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the long play, and um, I thought that uh, one, you know, the, tr- the the trope that I, I really despise <laughs> is the the scariest thing you're going to see is a a, a naked elderly lady. Yes. I'm just tired of that trope. I it's know, just, I know. Disrespectful. It's ageist, and it's just. But it made the teenagers in the audience at the session I saw laugh their heads <laughs> off. You know, I mean that says everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so I, but I actually would give it a, a yeah too because I felt that there are parts of it that were quite audacious, mm. uh, other parts less so. But overall, it carried me through, and the characters bore mm. me on their sturdy. Um, fragile backs because, you know, I mean, and, and I really, there's a, a scene where they have a little bit of a, a reunion party and I thought, I thought good on them because that's the last happy moment you're going to have in this entire movie. Oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I, I mean, and that's the thing too, I, I mean, I don't want to say too much, but yeah. they definitely Hollywoodify the ending. Um, oh, it's, it's Steve, Stephen King just can't do endings. No, Isn't that a well, running, it's a running joke in the this film. This is the thing; it's very meta. <laughs> We're really—I mean, Bill as Stephen King, etc. Yeah. But I—I I, I mean, I like when it's—I yeah, I like this ending better. The yeah. End. Okay. <laughs> so I give it—I give it a year as well. Yeah. Um, okay. So we'll uh, have a track next, which uh, doesn't reflect um, upon Stephen King, but more the Dark Crystal. Mm-hmm which is by Mr. Jones from the uh, from a, a portmanteau anthology album called Back to the Future, which has got nothing to do with Back to the Future except it's got a track on it from that. The Dark Crystal. This is Raymond E. Feist, the man who started the Rift War. Mm, will it help if I say I'm sorry? Zero G. It's totally lacking in gravity. Yeah, you do that. <laughs> and we had a track there, the Dark Crystal soundtrack. Just to uh, mention, to presage the fact that the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance television series, all 10 episodes, is now dropped on Netflix. Uh, It is a prequel to the 1982 Jim Henson film, The Dark Crystal, set on the fantasy planet of Thra. (laughs) Now, this is, of course, a movie that's done with um, puppets, muppets, and all (laughs) sorts of other things. And so it's a sequel. Uh, sorry, the prequel, which kind of serves as a sequel now because it's been so long since then. <laughs> but it is a prequel, actually. So, yeah, uh, having watched um, ha- at least half of it now, I can actually say that um, you could watch this cold without having watched the 82 movie. Okay, And great. That you, you will be able to go and watch that afterwards. So that may – after such a long interval. Although that 82 um, Dark Crystal film, along with um, Labyrinth, uh, two of the jewels in the crown of fantasy movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and are very, very fondly recalled by creative people in particular. Yeah, it's a real feat, some of the work that was done with those um, mm. Muppets, puppets, puppetry. The puppetry is incredible. Yes, the and that is so in, this, in, in the new series as well. Mm. Um, although they have used CGI mostly as far as I can see uh, for really big, big shots, you know, landscape sense, shots, yeah. but also occasionally for... Um, Removal of puppete- puppeteers who are walking behind the puppet, right, okay. uh, a few things like that. So they've done that quite well. Obviously, it's the, 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 the you know the Jim Henson 
Creature Shop working on all of this. Uh, and it was um, created by a couple of a – tr- a trio of people, um, including um, a director who we've seen before uh, and um, a whole no- – you know, just a unit of people who don't actually have any credits that I would say feed into this. Okay, interesting. Um, so I don't know why they did it, but it's uh, Jeffrey Addis and Will Matthews who both worked on Life in a Year. They're the mm-hmm, showrunners mm-hmm. and uh, Grey's Anatomy in one of those cases. And a director, uh, Louise Leteria, who was the French director who did um, uh, – <laughs> I've just gone blank there. No, the two first two Transporter films. Uh, and The Incredible Hulk in 2008. Ah, uh, the Norton the one. The Norton one. Right. And, and Clash of the Titans in 2010 and Grimsby most recently in 2016. So he's the director. But he actually he also was the second um, ADI assistant director with Alan Shabat on the production of Asterix, Asterix and Obelix Mission Cleopatra, which I just was talking ah, about on the interval. that's so crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and they've they put these ten episodes together, and they're basically explaining how the Dark Crystal movie universe got the way it was. Cool. Um, it's a world that that is uh, governed by creatures called the Skeksis, mm-hmm. who seem to be um, rather uh, angry birds, <laughs> and the Gelflings, who are much more um, laid back, uh, very civilized and sophisticated, kind of like little puppet elves. Okay. There are other races on the planet of Thra, um, the Podlings, who are who are um, you can't really understand most of the time, but um, they have every now and then they pop in a word of, of, of English so we can understand that. Uh, and they're, they're the cute little masses. Mm. So, you know, you've got this is your pyramid, the Skeksis up top, who are supposed to be looking after the crystal, mm-hmm. the Thra, which will... Uh, which is one of those, uh, the land and the crystal are one thing. So it's yeah. a very, and again, another 80s sort of new age trope yes, almost. Yes, indeed. And the Skeksis are, um, are very much uh, metaphors, even back, back in the 80s, metaphors for uh, robber baron capitalism. Yes. You know, right. They are literally draining the lives from their servants. <laughs> Who want to be ruled? They want to believe in their rulers, but you know they're going to be let down in this. And this is a story, Age of Resistance. It's a story of rebellion mm-hmm. and uh, and finding out things that um, they hadn't known before. Okay. And uh, and and it's just done this absolutely brilliant job on it. The the uh, the puppetry is awesome. Yeah. There are occasionally a couple of you know I could speak for hours on how wonderful it is, but a couple of dud spots occasionally they'll they'll whack a mask. Uh, or a costume on a person, yeah, uh, and give you a long shot to show them running, right? Uh, okay, yeah, and they did that up a spiral staircase, and it, it didn't. It took it me out of the, yeah. yeah, yeah, it took me out of it. But that, but that's all right. The sets are incredible. Oh my god, it's it, it's artistry, isn't it? it? Like I love, I love that element of movies like or series like this where it's as much about the setting and the look, yeah. And how that comes together. And that's a character in itself. Yeah, exactly. It's like falling into Art Nouveau heaven or something, you know, (laughs) along with – it's all this Brian Froud work uh, who did – worked on um, the original Dark Crystal. And his son, Toby Froud, who was the baby in Labyrinth, has grown up now. He's a puppet designer now. (laughs) His fate was sealed, I think. And the – the story itself, along with the the the, uh, the metaphor, is so now. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say some things have not changed. No, not at all. 
Um, this is just one of those things that, that is timeless. Yeah. And shame on us for it being so. Exactly. And where is it again? It's Netflix, right? Netflix. Yeah. At one stage, the Emperor of the Skeksis says that there is nothing wrong. There is no climate change, essentially. Mm. There is no darkness affecting the land. There's nothing to see here. Just, you know, just move on. It's, it's sobering, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The character, they've done a good job of um, differentiating the various Gelflings, mm-hmm. um, right down to one, one who's uh, mad keen on books. They give her an ink smudge on her cheek so that she'll look <laughs> a little bit different. Um, so there's all of that. And the dialogue is, is a lot of fun, um, especially – I like the podlings actually because I can't quite understand them, but I understand what their the intent vibe. is. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the Skeksis are actually the standout creatures in this film, in this uh, series, because they're the ones who are there doing – they're the villains and the villains are often the most entertaining. <laughs> and the voice cast for this is unbelievable. Yeah. Who's in it? Uh, Taron Edgerton. <gasps> I from uh, the um, Kingsman, Kingsman series and, and Rocketman and Robin Hood and all those things, uh, and you've got um, Eddie Izzard, oh. <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter, well, uh, it's up her alley, Sh- Shazad Latif from Star Trek Discovery, nice. Um, oh, Toby Jones, the uh, gets to be the librarian in this. Lena Headey. Lena Headey, yeah, Lena, from uh, Game of Thrones. Yes, uh, Alice Alicia Vikander. Uh, oh, Tomb Mark, Raider. Mark Strong. Oh, yes. Yes. He uh, was a bad person in some He's, he's a bad person. He's, he's always like a, he's bad always a bad general bad or a bad commander. He's actually or... a good person in this case. Oh, good, good. A good gelfling. Um, but I remember him from um, Sherlock Holmes' Game of Thrones. Uh, sorry, it's not Game of Thrones. Sherlock Holmes, the, uh, the first oh, yeah, one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and... Um, Jason Isaacs is playing <laughs> the emperor here. Malfoy himself. And how about this? Simon Pegg uh, doing a really good job as the Skeksis Chamberlain. quite star-studded considering I think a lot of those people I wouldn't necessarily recognise their voices. Benedict Wong from oh. um, Avengers uh, and uh, Doctor Strange. And pl- Moon. And Moon is the general, Skeksis. And uh, all right, now go, go into – I'll do a deep cut on this one. Um, oh, I just mentioned Sigourney Weaver plays the myth speaker, the narrator of the series. But um, the Skeksis scientist character, because they're all sort of differentiated, uh, he has a, an artificial eye. Mm-hmm. Now, in the original, there's one of those in-jokes. They um, made the eye out of a TIE fighter um, control sphere from oh, Star Wars. Oh, right. Okay. So they've done that again for this one. Yeah. this time they've stuck a tiny little Darth Vader figure in it. Really? That's funny. And it gets better because Mark Hamill is playing the voice of the scientist. I see. <laughs> We're really getting – it's in this oh, day and age. Yeah. Let's go there. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, it is just a, a joy to watch. Mm. I feel it might suffer a little bit from streaming padding. Yeah. There's ten episodes. I think they possibly could have done it's it in much. eight. Yeah. But, you know, who the hell cares when you just got if this – If you're liking it. Oh, the lavish environment just – just it's Makes amazing. It so yeah, um, absolutely recommended. Um, you know, look if you if you're a bit cynical and skeptical about puppetry, mm. maybe that won't work for you. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I just got sucked into this universe yeah. so so much. Watching I might it. have to take a look. And back in back in the days in the eighties, it, it was such a creative inspiration to me and a lot of people I know to see yeah. the Hensons take this onto onto the screen. Yeah, and it didn't do. Terrific at the box office, but it didn't fail. It made its money back in a bit more. And 
remained a classic, like a cult classic. Yeah, more than more so. I'd, exactly. I'd like it's to know grown over time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I highly recommend the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Nice. Hmm. And I'll let you know how it goes. Uh, wrapped up. Uh, wrapped up by the end of it because it's streaming and it's hard to watch them all at once. I find anyway. <laughs> And that's about it for Zero G today. Yes, we'll, we've whipped through a bit today. We'll, we'll go for um, a couple more minutes of um, Mr. Bowie of uh, Magic Dance. We kept playing just the start of that. And then, I know. Yeah. Um, we will uh, play a little bit of the subscriber benefits that you can get as a subscriber for Triple R. Yes. And, and um, yeah, I guess that's, that's it, it for today. Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Megan. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.